I'm very happy to be here once again this evening. It's good to see everybody. Thank you for being, for being here with us. And uh, I've been looking forward again to the opportunity to be your speaker tonight as we've listed over here on the board. That's going to be our subject. We're going to talk about the house uh, of the saved is marked. Now, I didn't think that up myself. As a matter of fact, I've discovered uh, over the years several different occasions in the Bible where God marked the house of the saved. And I think that's a very interesting idea. It's only interesting, though, with the fact that you and I have a house of safety in this day and time, and it's marked. And I want to tell you something about it. All these children here tonight, I want you to perk up your ears. You may have never heard some of the things we're going to talk about tonight. We want to explain to you why you want to be a member of the Lord's church. Why you want to be a member of the church you can read about in your Bible. Why it's important, and I'm going to use the name right now because I'm going to get to it again in a few minutes. Why you need to be a member of the church of Christ. Now that's directed to everybody, but especially young people, because as I said, I'm afraid sometimes this is neglected in our day and age. Let me show you the text we're going to use. I'm going over to Joshua, the second chapter at verse 18, and I'm going to read about a very interesting case there. Israel has been brought out of Egyptian bondage. They've gone out in the wilderness. Uh, finally, after all the, you know, the 40 years and all that stuff, uh, they, they find themselves at the walls of Jericho. This is their first big enemy that they're to face after they get out of Egyptian bondage. And we find out that uh, Joshua sends some spies over there and they spy out the land and they come um, got into trouble. Some of the people there in Jericho found out about these spies. So the spies uh, made a run for it and they wound up in a house of a lady by the name uh, uh, that uh, is, goes down in infamy for the fact of who she is. Her name is Rahab. Rahab is an Old Testament character, but if you want to know how good Rahab is, pick up your New Testament and look at Hebrews chapter 11, and she's named with all those heroes of God down through the ages. She's in that list because of what she did for the people of God. Here are these spies, they're on, uh, they come to Rahab's house, and she just happened to have a house on the top of the walls around the city, and uh, the, that's where they find themselves. Now, as we said, the people of, of Jericho, they're trying to catch these spies, and Rahab saves them brings them to safety. Let me read it to you. Joshua 2, I'll start at verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land that thou bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. Now here's what's happening. The people, these spies, they tell Rahab, now here's the way it's going to be. Uh, see, Rahab knows there's destruction. And I'm going to keep a little a little uh, commentary right over here. She knows there's destruction coming. She knows the people of God are going to overwhelm the city of Jericho. And therefore, she begins to look for a place of safety. She finds these spies. She provides them an opportunity to escape. And they tell her, now listen, here's the way that it's going to be. Uh, when, uh, when we uh, swoop over the land of Jericho, everybody that's in your house will be spared. Uh, they have to stay in that house till the danger is past. If they're caught out in the city or the streets, 
their blood is on their head. But as long as they stay in this house of safety, they'll be preserved. Now, let's write that down. Destruction's coming. Rahab knows it. What does she need? She needs a place that's a, a, a safe house. That's what she needs. And you know what she has to do? She has to remain in the house until the danger is past. Now, there's three little rules that we're going to be talking about. What do you do? You have to recognize destruction's coming. What do you do then? You have to find a house of safety. What happens then? You have to stay there until the danger's past. That's not the only time this has ever happened. I want to give you another one. I'm just going to cite this one sort of in passing. You remember when Moses uh, was trying to get the people out of Egyptian bondage. And God told Moses that the death angel, the destroyer, was going to swoop, swoop down over the land of Israel. And um, those people who had their house marked would be preserved. The death angel, the destroyer is actually what he was called, he will pass over you. That sound familiar? What's going to happen? There's destruction coming. All the firstborn in every Egyptian family is going to die. Uh, you need to avoid that. Can you? Yes, you can. There's a safe place. Where is this safe place? It's in your house. But you have to mark it. What do they have to do? They have to take the blood of a sacrifice and swipe it on the lintels and the doorpost of their house. And when the angel sees that blood, he'll pass over you. But now here's the catch. You've got to stay in the house until the danger is past. Now, you know, I can put those two stories together. I'm going to read Exodus 12, verse 21, just to cite to you what happens with Moses. Then Moses called of all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel on the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That sounds just like Rahab. Let me read the last verse, 23. He says, For the Lord will pass through the, and smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the side post, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in under your houses to smite you. That's an amazing story, isn't it? Here again, we find dangers coming, just like we listed over there. What are we going to do about it? We've got to have a safe place. God provides Israel with a safe place. It's their house marked with the blood of a sacrifice. What are the rules? You've got to stay there until the danger is past. Now, I'm very thankful to be able to stand here before you tonight and tell you that we also have this opportunity of a safe house. But first of all, you need to know that there's danger coming. It seems that our world's not very much concerned about the idea of danger and destruction that's held in store for this old earth. We've talked about it a little bit already. God Almighty is going to call time to a halt one of these days. The curtain of time will drop it to be no more. This old earth's going to grind to a halt like an old worn out machine. Everything that we now know is going to be burned up. What are you going to do? Well, I've already warned you, destruction is coming. Second Peter 3, verse 10, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works of therein shall be burned up. It's going to happen. I just read it out of the Bible. Let me read it again. First Thessalonians 5, verse 3, For when they shall say, 
peace and safety, then sudden destruction come upon them as travail upon a woman, the child, and they shall not escape. What's our world saying? Our world is saying as far as religion is concerned, as far as God is concerned, like we talked about Monday night, they're not a bit concerned. It's peace and safety. He says when man begins to say that, travail is going to come upon them as, as on a woman with child. Second uh, Thessalonians 1 at verse 9. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Revelation 20 verse 15. Whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. I don't need to read any more, do I? Do I need to tell you any more? Destruction's coming to this old world. It is something which is going to happen just as surely as you and I are here tonight. Now what are we going to do? We're going to have to have a place of safety. You're going to want a place of safety. That might not be important to you right now, but I'll assure you, when the trumpet sounds to end this old world, you're going to want a place of safety. So we're going to talk about it just for a little while. Uh, first of all, I'd like to ask the question, where are the saved? Well, we're going to write that down because I want to keep it in mind. Where are the saved? Now then, let's see if we can find out where they are. Because wherever they are, we can be too. Uh, notice, he says in Romans 8 at verse 1, There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What does he say? He says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So I find out salvation is in Christ. Anything else? Yeah, matter of fact, let's look again. Acts 2 verse 47, the Bible says, praising God and having faith with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Where are the saved? The saved, uh, uh, they are in the church, the Bible says. And as a result of this, uh, we can look at the idea of being in the church, and we can be saved too. Now then look, the saved are in Christ, the saved are in the church, what else? Well, got another one. Ephesians 5 verse 23. He says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. I'm going to put that right there. Now then, can we harmonize these three things? The saved are in, the, in Christ. The saved are in the body. The saved are in the church. I love to study the Bible, don't you? The reason I do, it all fits everything fits just like it should. I can certainly get these three items together. Uh, listen to this verse, Ephesians 1 verse 22, and they put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullest that filleth all in all. What is the church? It is his body. Look here. So the saved are in Christ, they're in his body, the church. Now, with that in mind, let's go just a little bit further. And I want to ask some questions now. What are some of the marks that separate the church from all the rest of the religious bodies in this old world? There are bound to be some marks which distinguish it. And there most assuredly is. And these marks are terribly important. Uh, that's what we want to learn. And all you young people we're talking to tonight, if anybody ever asks you why you want to be a member of the Lord's church, you're going to be able to tell them. Because I want to tell you how it's marked. First of all, and this is the most important idea, the Lord's church, the one you read about in the Bible, was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. I can't say anything more wonderful than that. 
I can't tell you a price greater than that. I can't exaggerate this idea and bring it out any sharper than to allow you to know that the church you read about in the Bible was purchased by the Son of God. The Bible says in Ephesians 5 verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. What happened? The bright and shining star of heaven stepped down here to this old earth, took upon him the form of a man, and poured out his life's blood to purchase the church you read about in the Bible. Acts 20, verse 28, Take heed therefore to yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God which is purchased with his own blood. That's a great distinguishing mark. There's nothing else that comes in uh, to, to begin to even uh, get close to that. But let's go again. What about the foundation of the church you read about in the Bible? Well, I find the foundation spoken about in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What is the foundation? In other words, what is the church built upon? Jesus Christ. Let me read again. Uh, I'm going to Ephesians 2 verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now when I say Jesus Christ is the uh, foundation of the church, you know what that eliminates? That foundation is not Mary Baker Eddy, who started and is a foundation of the Christian scientists, which aren't Christian or scientists either. Uh, it is not Joseph Smith uh, who uh, in his wanderings and uh, came up with uh, ideas of Mormonism. Uh, it's, he's not the foundation. Martin Luther has a infamous uh, notoriety of establishing the Lutheran Church. Judge Rutherford, he established Jehovah's Witness Church. John Wesley brought into existence a Methodist Church. William Booth is credited with the Salvation Army. John Smith and some others are given credit for the Baptist Church. It's not them though, is it? They're, they're not the foundation of the Lord's Church. So you see, these are people we eliminate automatically because what do we want to do? We want to be a member of the church that Jesus Christ is its foundation. He is the cornerstone. What else? Well, there's something else. We have a head of the Lord's church. You know what the head is? Colossians 1 verse 18 and he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead and all things he might have the preeminence. Who's that? It's Jesus. Who's the head of the Lord's church? The one you want to be a member of? Jesus Christ is the head. You know I don't know how anybody could think there's some other head to the church. And I find there's all sorts of ideas. For instance, it's quite common that people of the Catholic faith, they think that the Pope is the head of the church. Now, you know, they've got some real problems now. They've got two popes. They've got two infallible gods on earth. Uh, how could that happen? Uh, is the Pope the head of the church? I suppose if you ask most of the so-called religious people in the world, or Christian people in the world, uh, who are mostly Catholic, they'd say, yeah, the Pope is the head of the church. Now I'm going to tell you something about the head of the church. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. And I am very thankful he's the head. The Bible tells me in Hebrews 7 verse 24 and 25 that Jesus ever liveth. He ever lives. You know what that tells me? We don't have to stop every 30 or 40 years and read smoke signals to pick us a new head. The head of the Lord's church ever lives. And that's the one we want to be a part of. That's Jesus. Henry VIII is not the head of the church. He's the one that started the Church of England many, many years ago to get rid of his wife. 
noble reason. Start your own church, you see. I had to get rid of your wife. And here in this country, this is the Episcopal Church. Uh, it is something, again, that we recognize this is not what we want to be a part of. We don't want to be part of something like that. Let me do another one. The name. You know, I've been told there's nothing in the name. Well, now, if you're talking about the name of the Lord's church, there's a whole lot in the name. Listen to this, Acts 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of the Lord's church uh, and the Savior of the Lord's church, there's nothing else like it, he says. Uh, Romans 16, verse 16. Salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now, if Jesus died for the church, if he's the foundation of the church, if he's the head of the church, what else could it be? Isaiah 56, verse 5, tells me that this is a promised name. This is not some accidental uh, happening. Uh, Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name Better than of sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. What is this name that the Lord's house goes by? It goes by the one that built it, and that's Jesus Christ. What else can we know about it? I find out that this separates all the denominations. Last time I heard, and I don't try to keep record of this, it's out of control now. There's way over a thousand different denominations. Now, why are there a thousand of them? Because they've got a thousand different ideas about salvation. And most importantly, for the most part, they have a thousand different names. And the Lord's church is not an ist or a tist or an ism. It bears the name of Jesus Christ, the one who brought it into existence. What else? What about the creed of the church that you read about in the Bible? In other words, what does it believe and go by? The Bible says in Romans 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What is the creed of the church you read about in the Bible? It's the gospel of Christ. Now I could take the rest of our time tonight and talk about that. Do you know what the gospel is? Do you know what the word gospel means? It means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ. That's the creed of the Lord's church. And I find that this is something that you and I have an opportunity to know about. In Romans 16, verse, in Romans, uh, Mark 16, verse 15, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that's something that you and I do. We preach the gospel. Uh, do you realize the chances of you not having the opportunity to hear the gospel are insurmountable? The gospel, as we, the Bible teaches us, is taught just in a few places around this world. Just a few people have the opportunity to know what you know about the gospel. Now I'd like to put this in a little bit different way. I would like to tell you about a secret. You want, you want to know a secret? I'm going to tell you a secret. Just because I want to and I like this. The secret is talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'll start at verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. There it is. There's the mystery. There's the secret. Which God ordained before the world under our glory. Now what is that? Ordained means appointed. God appointed before the world. It's getting pretty big, isn't it? We'll try to keep your head wrapped around it because there's a little more.
which none of the princes of this world knew, for if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Can you think about that? This plan, this gospel, what is that? Salvation through Jesus Christ? It wasn't known uh, uh, in the Old Testament. Do you know angels want to look into the gospel? They weren't allowed. Old Testament prophets want to look into the gospel. They weren't allowed. Nobody was allowed until Jesus Christ had died upon the cross. You know why? Because the Bible explains here, if the, the henchman of the devil and himself had known that Jesus was going to bring salvation to the world by his death on the cross, he would not have crucified Jesus. He wouldn't have crucified him. That's the secret. But when Satan had those nails driven into the hands of Jesus, when they had him suspended between earth and heaven like he wasn't fit for either one, you know what he did? He drove the nails in his own coffin and brought into effect or ratified the good news of Jesus. His death on the cross for our salvation. So the creed of the, of the uh, New Testament church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example of how this gospel works. In the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, we find there's an interesting thing happens. And uh, here, I'm just going to recite it for you and I'll read part of it here in a minute. Uh, Philip has been over in Samaria preaching. Philip's an evangelist sent out by the church. He does a great work in Samaria. He converts the whole town, including a famous sorcerer there. And when he gets all this done, immediately God calls him to go over the way which is desert. Now, if you'll think about it like this, and I, I hope I have enough room to do this. Uh, here's Philip, and Philip walks up here to the side of the road, and he's waiting. That's where the Lord told him to be. Uh, there's been a man, we call him the Ethiopian. He's been all the way up here to Jerusalem to worship God under the old law. This is a zealous man. He comes from Ethiopia, which is a country way down here in Africa. He rode a chariot all the way from Ethiopia uh, up here to Jerusalem. I think about that. We got folks who won't drive two blocks to go to church. Here's a man that drove days, rode days in a chariot bouncing across the desert to get to Jerusalem and then head back home to Ethiopia. Here he comes. And Providence enters in. There he goes, right there. And Philip sees him pass. He's still waiting for instructions. The angel tells Philip, go and join yourself to that chariot. So he takes off running. And when he gets to the chariot, it just passed. And uh, he runs along beside the chariot. Somebody told me one time, if we could get some preachers running, we might get somebody converted. Well, whether that's so or not, this preacher's running. And he runs up there besides Philip. And Philip's reading the Bible. Isn't that wonderful? It's Old Testament, you understand. And he's sitting there reading it. Uh, he's reading over in the Old Testament, and he's reading uh, about Jesus. Now, he doesn't know who Jesus is, but he's reading about Jesus. And Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I except some man guide me? I'm really tempted sometimes when I see somebody maybe on an airplane sitting there reading the Bible or... I'm tempted to say, do you know what you're reading? I'm going to one of these days just to see how it works. Uh, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch said, how can I except some man guide me? And Philip got up in the chariot with him and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. 
You know what you do when you preach Jesus? I've had people tell me, I wish you'd just leave everybody alone and preach Jesus. Let me show you what you do when you preach Jesus. He begins at the same verse, which talking about Jesus is going to be led as a lamb dumb to the shares. He's going to be put to death. He begins right there. And he preaches Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch says, see, here's water. What hindered me to be baptized? If you've been with us all week, haven't we stressed baptism every night? Yes, we have. Here's a man preaching Jesus. And the fellow says, what do I? Uh, here's water. Why can't I be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you can. And he said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they commanded the church stand still and went down both in the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Why don't we teach baptism just like the Philip right there? Here's a man who wants to know what to do to be saved. What do you do? Join the church of your choice? Put your hand on the Bible? Put your hand on the television? Send for a prayer card? Uh, send for a prayer cloth? Um, say the sinner's prayer? That's not what you do when you preach the gospel. He preached Jesus. And it worked. The man wants to obey the gospel. That's why we preach Jesus. That's the creed that we uphold in the Lord's church. Acts 8 verse 35. Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture preached unto him. Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What did hinder me to be baptized? That's the way you do it when you preach Jesus. You tell people how to obey the gospel. Not the catechism. That's not the creed of the Lord's church. Uh, not the Book of Mormon. Uh, not the Hiscox Manual. Not the Watchtower and those associates. Not Calvin and his denominational ideas. What do you do? You preach Jesus. The gospel. The good news. The mystery. You've heard it this week. You've heard the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord's church teaches. And that's what we want to uphold. Again, what else? Well, the Lord's church, and this is a really good mark here, has a distinct way of worship. Worship to God. What do they do? And I want to make a couple of notes here. In, in John 4 verse 24, the Bible says, God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, there's no option here. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. All right, there it is. Uh, what do I want to do to worship God? I must. And I want to emphasize that. Is there any other way? Nope. Have to worship Him in spirit, that is, with my spirit and in truth. Now, some people take the ostrich approach to truth. They stick their head in the sand and say, what's truth? I don't have to do that. I know what truth is. Do you know what truth is? The Bible allows us to understand this. In John 17, verse 17, he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What is it? The word of God is the truth. Paul put it like this in Romans 1. He says, God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and in the gospel of his Son. How do we worship God? With our spirit and in the gospel of His Son or in His Word. In other words, 
To worship God, you've got to do it by the way he says, like we talked about last night. I'm not going into this in great detail because we did mention this last evening. I just want to tell you before I leave this, here's one of the marks that you can recognize. And these marks cannot be changed. They cannot be added to. They must do it as the Bible directs. Yeah, you notice we have men teachers. I mentioned I'd mentioned a little lady called me that time and told you she'd got the call to preach. Well, women preachers are not allowed by the creed of the New Testament church. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted in them to speak, but they're commanded to be in obedience, so saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for the woman to speak at a church. We have men teaching in the church. That's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, number two, the communion. If you'll be with us when we have communion, remember what I told you communion is? Communion is joint participation. We'll gather around the Lord's table on the Lord's day. The reason we do the Lord's day, that's the day appointed in the truth. Upon the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. That's what we want to do because that's what the Lord's church did. And that's what we're supposed to do. So we gather together. We have the table set with one loaf, which is to us the body of Christ, and one drinking vessel containing grape juice, which is to us the New Testament as ratified by the blood of Christ. We don't have anything else. That's a real good sign. There, there are very few people on the face of this earth that observe communion like that, except the Lord's people. And that's what you want to be a part of. I find this is something that we can do. We mentioned also, we sing and praise God in song. Uh, tonight, that's what we've done. We have no instrumental music. We talked about this last night again. I believe it was. In Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5 verse 19, the Bible says, Sing, make melody your heart to the Lord, or sing with grace in your heart to the Lord. That's what we do. Why do we do that? That's what we must do to worship God and do it acceptably. Uh, we have a contribution. I'll just tell you about the contribution. We're instructed in the Bible to lay by and store upon the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered, uh, that there be no gatherings when I come. What do we do? We make up our minds ahead of time how much we'd like to return back to the Lord. Uh, we do that according to what we've been able to make ourselves. Look, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. Every man according as he has purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. We only do that on the first day of the week. Why do we do that? We, that's not too bad of an idea. I guess we could pass a basket every night. We'd have Monday till up to now, we'd have our basket full, wouldn't we? And that's what a lot of people do. That's not scriptural. We take up a collection upon the first day of the week as we must. You lay by in store as you have prospered. There's no such thing as tithing in the New Testament age. Tithing was an Old Testament commandment. We don't command tithing because it's not something that's a truth. Uh, we have to do it according to that. Last of all, in these signs, the Lord's Church has an interesting headquarters. The headquarters. You know what the headquarters uh, are? The headquarters are where the headquarters. Where does the headquarter of the Lord's Church? He quarters in heaven. Our headquarters in heaven. 
And that's, that's the head that we recognize, Jesus Christ. The head, the head of the Lord's church does not quarter in Springfield, Missouri. He doesn't quarter in Rome, Italy. He doesn't quarter in Hot Springs, Arkansas, Salt Lake City, Utah, or any other place except heaven. I, I used to have a family member, and she was a member of the Assembly of God. And I'd come through Springfield pretty often. You know, there's a place down in Springfield where the um, Assembly of God has got a big cottage and all that. And there's a humongous sign out there on the, on the grass. It says, the International Headquarters of the Assemblies of God. You can't deny that, can you? And I'd tell her, I saw your headquarters today. And we talked enough, she didn't like that because she knew that's not where the headquarters she thought ought to be. But that's where the headquarters was for the church that she went to. Now there are other marks that we could talk about, but I want to summarize this. The church that you read about in the Bible was built by Jesus, purchased by his blood. He is its foundation. He is the head. It bears his name. It preaches his gospel. It worships him in spirit and truth. And he is the headquarters in his headquarters in heaven. Now, I have to ask another question. Are there other houses of safety? Anywhere else we might be able to go and avoid the destruction that's held up back for this old world? Uh, Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. We've already pointed out the church of safety is Jesus' church. Are there others? No. He said, I'm going to build my church. Let me read again in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Is there more than one body? No, there's not more than one body. Just one. That's the body of Christ, the Lord's church. What else can we find out? Um, this is something, again, that uh, the world, and I'm going to use this a real live story that I can tell you about this. I was reading the Daily Oklahoman years ago, and Billy Graham, you know, famous preacher, he had an article in that paper. And some lady had written in to him and asked a question. She said, Brother Billy, why is it the Bible says there's one body, but you say uh, there's many, that there's a lot of members and she quoted this verse, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that body are one, uh, 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 being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And he says, now here's the way this is. There's just one body, but it has many members. Now, think about this. This sounds pretty good. There's just one body, but it has many members. And each one of the members of this body is a denomination. And then he said, check John chapter 15. So I did. I thought that must be his proof for it, verse. I went over to John 15 and I started uh, there at verse 5. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you could do nothing. Now here's what Billy said about it. It goes on to say, and we'll, he says, Jesus is the vine, and ye are the branches. He says, that's the members. Jesus is the true vine, and every denomination is a member on that vine. 
Now that's fine and dandy, at least you read the rest of the Bible. Look on down there to the next verse, verse 6. Jesus said, If a man abides not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them in the fire, and they're burned. What are these branches? Are they denominations? No, Jesus says, If a man abides not in me, he is gathered as a branch. The little word as means like. What are these branches? They're men. That's us. We're all branches uh, off of Jesus Christ, the true vine. This gives no door for denominationalism. Uh, this is something which does not allow more than one. And I find again, this is something that you need to be aware of. One body, one church, all brought into existence by Jesus Christ. I have one more little idea right here. Psalms 127 at verse 1. Except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord built it, it's a labor in vain. Again, Matthew 15, verse 13. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. What's going to happen to all these other plants? They're going to be rooted up, Jesus said. Years ago, I was out in Orange, California. Orange is a suburb of Los Angeles. And I held a meeting there. And uh, after the meeting, I've got to go over to Bakersfield. And Bakersfield is across the mountains uh, going toward the north. So I'm, I'm in one of them six lanes going each direction. And I'm chugging along trying to get across the hills to Bakersfield. And the hills are steep and the road is real crooked. They used to call it the grapevine. Now they've changed it and they got a nice big highway through there now. But when I went through it the first time, it was the grapevine. And I'm winding along and everybody's pulled down and the cars are smoking, we're getting too hot and all that. And I'm trying just to stay calm and get, I'm up close to the top of the pass. And you know, I had plenty of time to look around. I looked up on the hill to the right. It was the highest mountain there. And up on top, the very peak of that mountain, somebody had built a little church. If I can show this for you, what happens? Well, at the top of this mountain, somebody built a little miniature church. And this is kind of what it looks. Here's the top of the mountains, and it, it, it's above all the rest of these mountains. And up on top of this mountain is this little building. It's just a little miniature. It had a cross up here on it. It definitely represented a church. You know, I got in my head, and I got to thinking about it. What about that little bitty church building? What does that represent? I knew this verse, Isaiah 2 at verse 2. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. Now that's a prophecy of the church. The Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains. Now, that's figurative. So I got to thinking, what about all the rest of these mountains, huh? What about them? And I went along, and you know, things just fall together sometimes. Uh, I opened up a Bible once upon a time to Jeremiah. And I wasn't looking for this verse, but it just leapt out at me. Listen, Jeremiah 3, verse 23. Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from among the hills, and for the multitude of mountains, truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. You know what all these other mountains are? 
this is the multi multitude of churches he's talking about. This is the denominational world. They would be as tall as the Lord's house if they could. They would be up here at the top of the mountain if they could, but they can't. So they're gathered down here. What about worshiping in these other hills and mountains? It's vain, he said. And that makes a real good comparison of the Lord's church today and all these others who would be pretenders to it. I find that you have to recognize that the house of the Lord, there's not another one like it. Everything else is, is looking for salvation in vain. Now, how can I get in to this home of salvation? How can I get in there? Uh, is there any way that I can get in there? Well, you know, you know there is. John 8, verse 24, Jesus said, Except you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. You have to believe in Jesus. Luke, the 13th chapter, verse 3, Jesus said, I tell you, neighbor, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. He said in Matthew 10 at verse 32, just like the eunuch did we talked about it a minute ago, if you'll confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father which is in heaven. Are we safe yet? Are we, are we safe yet? No, we're not safe yet. Uh, you can't believe yourself in a, in a uh, safe house. You can't repent yourself or confess yourself. What do you have to do? There's something else. And notice how all this works. Uh, it is possible for us, though, to be a part of it. In Galatians 3, verse 27, he says, For as many of you have been baptized, look at here, into Christ, have put on Christ. You can be baptized into Christ, the place of the saved. What else? In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized. Now here, here it comes again. Are we all baptized into one body? You liking this yet? It's going to work all the way through. Let me read in Acts 2 verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there was added unto them about 3,000 souls. In verse 47, praising God and having faith with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. How do you get into the house of safety? You're baptized into Jesus Christ. You're baptized into His body. You're baptized, added to the church when you're baptized. Now, that's the way it has to be because that's exactly what the Bible says. Our last point for this is this right here. You, I want to remind you that you have to stay. You have to stay in the house until the danger is past. Uh, how long do I have to stay as a member of the Lord's church, uh, the body of Christ? How long can I run and hit and miss and run hot and cold and in and out? And No, no, no. You've got to be a part of the Lord's body. And here it is, Revelation 2, verse 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. You know how long you got to stay? Till the danger's passed. How long is that? Ten days. You know the book of Revelation is a book of signs and figures. And what he tells us right there is, you remain faithful ten days. Ten days is one short lifetime. 
and you'll receive a crown of life, you have to stay for your lifetime. And that's just going to wear you out. It's just going to be 10 days. I wish you and I could understand the, the ideas he's given us there. He's telling us not only can we be, be a part of this house of safety, but we can stay there because it's going to be short and then it's going to be forever over. Let me read one other verse. Matthew 24, verse 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. He that endures to the end will be saved. I'm ready to close for tonight. I hope this is something that you'll consider if you never have done it. If you're not in the house of safety, that's where you need to be. Danger and destruction's coming. The house of safety is clearly defined in the Lord's will and marked in no uncertain terms. Obey the gospel.